Archie's ass When a virus comes along You must boost it Don't wanna kill your mom You must boost it When nothing's going wrong You must boost it Now boost it In your veins Stroke it out Get veins Blood clots In your head Go and get tested. Hello and good evening. My name is Josh. I'm joined as always by Aaron and Bob. With the folks who are going to help you find the madness. Reason and the reasonable makes sense out of nonsense because this is okay. Hear me out. Aaron and Bob, how y'all doing this evening? <laughs> Con- contemplating getting my next booster shot. <laughs> Was that written yeah. by AI and then sung by AI? Yes. <laughs> This is the future of OK Homo intro songs right here. That was a hundred times better than the entire Jimmy Kimmel writing staff. I was <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. Oh, whatever. Jimmy, it... all of them. They're all terrible. <laughs> I didn't know how that was possible. Like, like that's that's too good. Like. Is it like audio evidence just not admissible in court anymore as of like a month ago? <laughs> well, even video what was I didn't someone post something where uh, you can put on a, uh, a a prosthetic finger. It goes on your like your existing finger like a ring and then it protrudes like you have a six finger. And so if criminals wear it, you can become uh, like video of you doing a crime. They'll see the six it, finger and be like, oh, this like is AI generated. Picture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's now inadmissible in court. <laughs> oh, my God. That's brilliant. Like the touring test is going to be like finding like the little like glitches now in like things to like. Is this 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 is an AI voice. Uh, you have to like make it laugh. So it does it like insane laughs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, kill him he's a robot <laughs> don't worry they'll they'll perfect it soon enough wait wait but, Aaron, we've we've been building up to this for years this this is the whole uh stand-up comedy has become safe and pc and they just tell stories instead of actually making jokes we've killed comedy so that we'll never and made the whole world unfunny so that we'll never be able to attempt to make a robot laugh <clears throat> The robots are ready to take over. I was wondering where you were going with that. (laughs) (laughs) So was I. (laughs) I thought it was pretty straightforward. We were just (laughs) bluffing the robots because they they don't want to be found out with laughter, horrible laughter. Yeah, if people don't know what comedy is, they can't make robots laugh. There we go. Well, if you guys think you can make the in-house OK Homo AI robot Josh laugh, <laughs> please call in at 1-833-666-911. Again, that's 1-833-666-0911. Why you named the AI after me? I'm honored. <laughs> guys, Almost. I'm not going to lie. Train school is fucking killing me. It's it's really easy, but I'm I'm so tired all the time now. I can't. I can't get up at five thirty in the morning. This is abuse on some level. I'm not responsible enough to not fall asleep at midnight. Like I haven't gotten more than five hours of sleep for two weeks straight. <laughs> I, oh I, I my don't, god! I don't see the problem. Yeah, you're on Josh levels of uh, competency at the moment, and you're still acing all your tests, which is great. Oh, dude, it's for it's for <laughs> retards. Okay, anybody out there, if you want to be a train conductor. 
fucking go do it right now because it pays insane and you have to have an IQ of 45 in order to fucking pass these tests. They're so easy. And somehow, <laughs> somehow people are still failing them. I, I won't mention their skin color, but I, some people are still failing them. It's insane. <laughs> well, it's not good, honest work like a programming job at NASA is. Which brings yeah. us to our next topic. Perfect. Do you guys remember um, Margaret Hamilton? No. The badass 1960s programmer who saved the moon landing. She oh, had, is this that dumb bitch that they tried to they show the photo of her next to like a fucking tower of books and then are like, this, this fucking 22-year-old wrote a, a Shakespearean amount of code by herself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly the one. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. She actually was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by the Obama administration. Um, is she is, so? Is she still alive then? I, I I believe so. I don't know if she's like in 2023 still alive. But when Vox wrote their article about her and like when they got uh, publicity on on this, uh, so like 2019 is when Vox wrote wrote their little article about it. You know, it'd be hilarious, uh, by the way, hmm. like this is how uh, this is how, you know, journalism isn't real. If journalism was real, the funniest thing ever would be get her in for like some some award, like get get uh, together some fake award to give her and then just sit her in a room and then just be like, oh, here's a pen. Hey, write one line of code <laughs> <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> Um, and just watch her fucking, uh, uh, I forgot. I'm retired. I don't do this anymore. <laughs> well, because software engineering jobs have actual like coding tests and stuff you'll do live. And like, or you'll have to like, or, or you'll have a problem and have to suggest a way to solve it through different, uh, you know, functions and ways of storing data and whatnot. So it's, it's something that should be expected by someone in this type of position as well. Oh, yeah. No, she should yeah. be able to do it. I guarantee you she wouldn't be able to if somebody did that. But, We'll never know because they're just oh, going to pretend that you she's just don't understand Fortran and COBOL and all the codes they used back then. You know, it's it's not the the C sharp that babies use today. Yeah, be like, yeah, write it in that. Write it in whatever language you want, and we'll we'll get somebody. We're going to get somebody to verify what you read, and we'll just pop it in and see what it does. Anything like, see what you can do. How dare you disrespect one of the first prominent soft woman software engineers in the field? A term. That she coined, in fact, software engineer. If you didn't know that, wait, because I'm pretty sure she did. I'm getting to think no the software engineers aren't real engineers now. <laughs> is that a real claim that she coined yeah. the term software engineer? Yes, it is. That that is a claim made in this Vox article that was published. It's called "Meet Margaret Hamilton, the Badass 1960s Programmer Who Saved the Moon Landing." Her code fixed a malfunction that could have prevented Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong from landing safely. How come they never mentioned the third guy, Michael Collins, anyway? So they go in. We're gonna we're gonna start with the Vox article and how they how everyone in the media has like reported her story and everything like that, and then we'll get into like what actually happened because I think what Aaron said is like oh pretty much nails it on the head <laughs> she, that she didn't Which invent is, software engineering. She just perfected it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, she actually not only did she coin the term software engineer, she invented software engineering. Like they'll go just another step. They just can't help themselves. They have to keep keep pushing it. She actually yeah. wrote you know, the code when she was in middle school. And just repurposed it for uh, for NASA. So they start off with the claims saying that the software for the guidance computer was written by a team at the MIT Instrumental Laboratory, now the Draper Laboratory, headed up by Margaret Hamilton. Here's an amazing picture of her standing next to all the, the tower books and stuff like that. So she was the one that led the team that developed this software is the claim so far. Uh, Hamilton's code was good. So good, in fact, that it very well might, as, might have saved the entire Apollo 11 mission. So there was this uh, anomaly, essentially, that was happening. One of the other systems on board of, of the command module and the like landing module, another device started that wasn't supposed to be used at the time started picking up a bunch of like random interference out in the void of space. At the time, it was overloading the system. And so what she did was that she actually... Um, came up with a low priority a, a low priority task method uh, the computer was also programmed to automatically and nearly instantaneously reboot as to flesh out unimportant tasks like dealing with radar da data that they didn't need at the time so it's a very specific claim that's made at this point uh, about the type of programming the, the type of software that she added to it that saved the Apollo 11 mission it was like Wait, this her overloading yeah well, her her so her contribution was she wrote code. Well, allegedly, this is their their claim. She wrote code that was the equivalent of unplugging and plugging back in your router. Basically, whenever yeah. it froze, oh, it froze. Have you tried unplugging your router and plugging it back in? Wait five seconds. It, it, it was uh, it was something developed specifically called the asynchronous executive. And when the uh, the overloads came up, this feature allowed the computer to drop lo low priority tasks and reboot itself, starting up uh, at the top of like the task priority. Um, so it goes in 2019. She was 78 years old. So yeah, she's she's either in the grave or in her 80s at this point. Uh, and she. Yeah, she, she runs Hamilton Technologies, the Cambridge, Massachusetts-based company that she founded in uh, 1986. Uh, she lives to see software engineering, a term she coined, grow, grow from a relative backwater computing to a, presti a prestigious profession. <laughs> and they even go on to claim that in the early days, women were often assigned software tasks because the software just wasn't viewed as very important. Now, we're still in the Vox article here for the time being. It's not that the man uh, managers of your respected women more than they do now, uh, some other person writes, uh, in a great piece on early women programmers for the Smithsonian Magazine, they oh simply God. saw computer programming as an easy job. It was like typing or filing to them, and the development of software was less important to the development of hardware. So some women wrote software, programmed, and even told their male colleagues how to make the hardware better. Oh, my God. Okay, so here, I love how they... Ah, it, it's so infuriating. So they're like... Now in, 20, like in 2016, they started with... Every woman needs to learn how to code and they need to be, we need to be allowed to be software engineers. And they're like, also, we did all the software engineering, but it was bad then because it was still demeaning. 
<laughs> Fuck you. Pick one. <laughs> did you did you write all the software uh, in your weird fake revisionist history, or are you not allowed to be software engineers in your current fake history? <laughs> like what? How how can they live in both worlds? Like they have these people have no problem just lying to make the world however they want to see it. She is a pioneer in her field that also coined the term software engineer, but yet she is also still a victim, and you need to remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and but no one knew how it, no one respected her like they were supposed to, as they did photo ops with her in front of a fucking library of code that she clearly did not write. <laughs> is is that even the original context of the photo? Like from from the stack of uh, phone books next to her that she's just like stacking up, smiling. I I don't know that necessarily this is supposed to be. A compilation of code or what that's like actually what why the photo was originally taken is do you know if that any any answer on that no i i don't know the context and like what like how are you supposed to find out too because it's all going to be like word of mouth like you have to trust someone's like a, opinion on it or something you know what i mean like it's really no way to verify that you know how loose and, and quickly nasa gets records lost and and just goes away you know what i mean yeah, yeah. So, I wonder if they've lost the technology to read her code. <laughs> so in an interview, she says, when I first started using the phrase uh, software engineer, it was considered to be quite amusing. It was an ongoing joke for a long time. <laughs> they liked uh, they liked uh, to kid me about uh, my radical ideas, software eventually and uh, necessarily gain the same respect as any other discipline. I think that was verbatim there. That's why it was all kind of weird. So this guy, uh, this journalist on Twitter actually dug down and did some research and actually pulled the files regarding who was on the team when uh, <laughs> and her history and more specifically uh, her her marriage history. So this guy starts it off with what an incredible rabbit hole, basically uh, Margaret Hamilton awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for leading the team that created the onboard flight software for the Apollo missions. Wasn't even hired until after the completed software had already flown to the moon in Apollo 8. <laughs> he was doing volunteer work? Or is, is this like a woman behind the scenes sort of thing? Like a husband brought the project home? What's, uh, what, what's going when on was, here? When was Apollo 8? Apollo 8 was December of 1968. Okay. And then Apollo 11 Wait, was... she got hired after December of 68? No, 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 no. She wasn't on the team. Where was she? She she was a, a junior, uh, an entry-level programmer uh, that wasn't in the command module uh, or the, the, the flight command module programming. She was just like a generic programmer for NASA at the time. She had no titles, no nothing. She was like a first hiree. Oh, well that's cause they didn't respect her. She was actually doing ingenious work that they were stealing and not giving her credit for. Right. She, she got hired in 1965. Uh, okay. and then, and she stayed an entry level programmer until, well, hold on. I can pull it up in a second. A team. Uh, let's go back. I think, uh, yeah, 
Okay, hold on. Let's take it back for a second. A team of 400 men worked for years to create the software for the two Apollo um, command modules. Sometime around the release date, Hamilton hired and promoted by her husband from a beginner role to in charge of the command module software on which her name does not appear until 1969. (laughs) Her husband was the boss? Yeah. Yes, who hired her and and promoted her and then immediately married her. Uh, Hilarious. Is he, is he a sapiosexual or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know what's awesome, too, is they, they, they can't keep their story straight with their dumb gay claims where she's like, and they made all the women do all the coding because no one respected it. No one respected me for my genius and getting us to the moon and inventing cool phrases that are in use today. And then it, it also she was hired to lead a team of 400 men. <laughs> <laughs> so By her husband. Has, has, she, has she ever disputed or uh, clarified added context to any of these claims about her ingenious work? These claims are just coming out. These... People are just now investigating this and well, looking like, into like when it. She, because, when she got her, uh, you know, medal of presidential medal of honor or whatever it was, um, did she in her speech? Did she add any context or have any special thanks to uh, some of the other engineers who might have worked on the project? No, she's been fucking writing nepotism her entire goddamn life. Why the fuck would she bring <laughs> that up? She fucked her way into a science position at NASA for the moon mission. Why would you ever say say otherwise? There are already people out there that deny the moon landing ever happened. Why would she be like, oh, well, actually, my husband hired me and then promoted me immediately? Yeah, yeah. my husband okay. hired this guy hired me. And then uh, right after he gave me this gigantic promotion, which came with a substantial pay raise, uh, they did a bunch of PR photos and our salary raise and we got married. Like, but- <laughs> But it's because I was a genius, I promise. <laughs> a terrible but um, isolated uh, blemish on the long history of integrity at NASA. I, I'm ashamed that this is being brought to light now. <laughs> yeah. So the first time her name came up in any documentation regarding the code uh, was in the first revision in ni- uh, March of 1969. Now, granted, Apollo 11 launched july July. of 1969 yeah so she was promoted to the head of the development team after the the program had already been completed and the allegedly got us to the moon already just right in apollo 8 yeah they already had the software for apollo 8 1968 in december of 1968 and it had already gone to the moon and come back. It didn't land on the moon. They just like or orbited, I think, like 10 times, they claim. I mean, yeah, they just did that with Artemis 1. They, they, they do that. Right. Um, so they actually, he pulled up a, uh, a graph, basically, of the, the teams and the entries on the code and everything like that. So you have like this huge section here um, of 1963, 1964, 1965. You had total equivalent of, uh, the total personnel members uh, on the team. And so when they finished it for uh, Apollo 8, 
was that they they had already dramatically reduced the size. So like that size of 400 programmers, it used to be closer to like 700 at the peak of the program when they actually needed like the bulk of the program to be done. Uh, so they went from 700 members down to 400. The program was already completed and they were just doing debugging on it and like fine tuning it um, specifically. And this is kind of where Vox did get a little smart about what she contributed in. And what she didn't basically, because they're saying that uh, that one specific problem with all like the extra input data that the computer was trying to solve and then it would flush it out, restart the system and then kind of boot back up with the priority um, task. So uh, what was it with incredible courage uh, of this guy to hand the Apollo control software or control module software leadership over to a junior programmer the only woman on the entire team of 400, which is another uh, claim that she made wrong because she was claiming that apparently only the women were getting programming jobs. They were giving women programming jobs because <laughs> it was demeaning because fuck them. Yeah. And she's the only one. And she just happens to be fucking the her boss, her eventual boss, like yeah. the big boss. It's like, come on. What the fuck, guys? <sighs> Sorry, the entire tenure of the program is uh, suspect because 100% of it was arranged by her husband who hired her, mentored her, and as she was given a small team, then promoted immediately before their marriage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind uh, of interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's considered a, a conflict of interest or bad business ethics if you marry or have a personal relationship with someone under you who's your employee. So obviously she had to get promoted to an equal position first. Yeah. He promoted it's, it's only her. Ethics. He promoted her to his position because he left NASA after the completion of the very prestigious project that they uh, of the software project that he led. He went off and started his own uh, company back then, which, which is great because you can steal a lot more taxpayer money from NASA as a contractor than you can as like an employee, <laughs> like a government employee. Yeah. So in 1968, the Apollo software is done. Transition to bug fix mode shrinks headcount from 700 to 400 and is no longer a prestigious project. The boss, Dan, likely hires his soon-to-be wife, Margaret Hamilton, to take his place as, as he quit to start his own company. Bam. Um, the, the, he's part of the. He's part of the when everybody they they literally burned that crew alive. Everybody quits. And then magically they get everything done and they go to the moon. <laughs> like that, that's she's during <laughs> yeah. that period where every single management position in NASA is vacated. They cut the staff down by half and then they hit all of their timetables miraculously after like 10 years of failures. <laughs> Yeah, so it wasn't just a coincidence. It was uh, her leadership, her uh, coding yeah. expertise that uh, got them to the moon. Like uh, that's the only you know, new factor we have introduced into the the situation, right? Well, Josh, I don't want you. To, you know, I don't want to say that you're being sexist here, but or, or or racist, dare I say? Because Medea did math and got them to the moon too. Have you seen <laughs> fucking Hidden Figures? I hidden, no, I, I didn't watch that movie, but I <laughs> I think I can assume uh, well, some good as, lessons from it. As a white lady was exercising her white privilege by doing all this software engineering, 
uh, you know, there was a black lady who had to use separate bathrooms and drinking fountains and was being called all sorts of N-words, and she was just doing math to get us to the moon at the same time. It's incredible that two women did all of that. So I actually found the guy that uh, is actually responsible for the work that she's been credited over the past couple of years. Uh, oh, okay. The guy's name is Hal Lanning. He was the head of the MIT department that was previously mentioned uh, for like 15 years before like the Apollo 11, basically like th- this guy, like he worked at MIT for a very long time. He actually constructed the, uh, or he worked on the hardware and software development for rockets that were being shot out of submarines for the first time ever with like their gyroscopic um, guidance systems and actually got rockets to like actually hit pinpoint precisions, you know, like hundreds of miles away and stuff like that. And so you can actually, there's a video online called Hal Lanning, the man you didn't know saved Apollo 11. And it's like, wait a second. (laughs) And it goes into, into great detail about the, the program that he developed with this priority task management system and restart function built into it. And so uh, I have a little quick rundown. It's going to be a lot of jargon going on here. It's going to be slightly boring, but we can break it down. This triggered the 1201 alarm signaling executive overflow, no core sets, and the 1202 alarm signaling executive overflow, no vac areas. These, in turn, triggered a software reboot, which was Lanning's failsafe. All jobs were canceled. It was his specific, like, this was his solution. His engineering solution did this. So I'm beginning to, like, question what exactly a part of the program did she fix or come up with now that could be associated to her? Well, she led the team, obviously. That is basically all she has to it. And she was only, she gets credited for this great quote unquote achievement because she led the team. She led the team because her husband promoted her to the job. Okay. And they had to pick something that they accomplished within a five month span, basically, because she was the lead of the team for, from March to July or whatever it was. Yeah. And that's it. Like, how Lanning developed the, uh, they call it the asymmetric um, executive program. If he developed the concept to that, what the fuck did she do? So let's listen in again. Regardless of priority and then started again in priority order, quickly enough that no guidance or navigation data was lost. But it didn't clear up the issue. The computer was still overloaded by the same spurious radar data, stopping new program steps from running. In all, it triggered four 1202 alarms and one 1201 alarm. Eventually, Buzz Aldrin noticed that the 1202 came up when they entered the Verb 16 Noun 68, a program that would display the range to the landing site and the LM's velocity. The command itself didn't place a heavy load on the computer, but with the existing load, that extra bit of processing power seemed to trigger the 1202 alarm. Realizing this, the solution was simple. Ask Houston for the data instead of calling it up from the computer. He, he it wasn't solved via program. At the very last second, they just rung Houston up and they're like, give us the data. Give us the. <laughs> yeah, all they did was stop pulling radar, radar data. That's, that's literally what they are claiming. Wait, so did they do the uh, calculations on the ground or pull the. This, this seems, it seems like there'd be a delay or some issue with what was going on there. 
Or this, this seems like the, the most inefficient way to do things. Well, they literally claim, so they're trying to say that the ship was transmitting all of its data to the ground at all times, apparently, because, but the computer couldn't handle recording it on the ship, but the people from the ground were getting all of it transmitted to them from space. Hold on. Let's listen to it one more time. That extra bit of processing power seemed to trigger the 1202 alarm. Realizing this, the solution was simple. Ask Houston for the data instead of calling it up from the computer. Houston, as we know, gave Apollo 11 a go on all five 1201 and 1202 alarms. If those alarms had been closer together, it could have wiped out navigation data during a reboot. But being separate... So that's, that's where it's not... Something happened where they're either giving it a go for the 1202 alarm. I, I think someone who's more apt at like this programming stuff. But from my understanding of what they're trying to say here is that it was still like there was still a malfunction with it. Right. And then they just ignored yes. it and then manually landed it. Basically, Not only. No, no, that's not what it is. It's when they tried to input this command to get radar data. It would overload their computer. Right. But they're claiming that the way they, the, what they manually did was they called Houston and said, Hey, Houston, what's our radar data? But I don't know how Houston is getting the radar data from the computer that is too overburdened to be able to collect the radar data in the first place. But they're claiming they can transmit that same data to Houston, then get it manually called into them, even though there's, well, Apparently, the ISS used to have an 11-second delay because of the distance, but, you know, it, that changed to instant because it looked stupid. So they just stopped doing that. But I can't imagine what the delay to the moon was or to the halfway to the moon. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, well, what I'm wondering, too, is that this was uh, for navigation. Like, <clears throat> isn't that something you need live when you're going that fast with that many different factors in play? Yeah, no, not like with the delay at calling the ground. I think what it what it eventually did was it got rid of all the noise data and it just pri it they did something to prioritize like the data that they needed. The radar data from um from their ship no. to the landing zone. No, that that yeah, that was that was part of it. Because but then I think Aaron's right that like that, that still didn't work. Or that didn't, didn't solve the, the overload. All it did was make it so the computer didn't freeze. Or reboot it, yeah. It would reboot it, but it would do it in a way that was quick enough. Then it'd start this navigation. The it, they wouldn't lose their navigation data or whatever. But then, if they input, they tried to collect radar data. They'd get a twelve oh two and a twelve oh one alarm for whatever error, yeah. and basically their computer was freezing. Just in a constant state of rebooting, basically. Yeah, it would reboot. They yeah. couldn't collect this data that they were supposed to collect. But they are like, oh, we just found out that we can just manually get it from Houston. And you're like, why, why are they claiming they can do this? This is like, okay, this, none of the things they claim to do are applicable to anything we do on Earth, especially in 1969. Think about it this way. That would be like if a submarine in 1969 was like, oh, we can't get radar readouts. It's freezing our computer. We'll just call the we'll just call the Pentagon and they'll tell us what our radar is. Like what? How? <laughs> what are you talking about? You don't have the technology to do that. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Like what they're claiming, we don't have that now. 
Yeah, I think the the, the very specifics of it, because uh, I, I see other interviews here with like Buzz Aldrin. I'm sure there's like you can get an interview where it's described a little bit more clearly about what what information Houston gave them. Basically, no, to it's be never able to do explained it. more clearly. Here's, here's what they do about it. this is the cycle. They have something like this. They they're bragging about some amazing feat they did. Oh, our radar was out, so we had to call Houston, and they were navigating us manually. And they're like, "Uh, didn't wasn't the delay like a minute and a half? How are you getting correct data in order? Oh, so actually, what happened is I was looking out the window, and I fucking landed it manually. They just changed the story every time. Like, but I didn't so see if, anything if, out the window because I didn't see any stars. I don't remember seeing any stars out the window. Yeah, I didn't see any stars because <laughs> I was looking at the fucking moon dirt. So fucking fo- laser focused. Uh, and when you're like thousands of miles, uh, tens of thousands of miles away from everything, and you're you're trying to follow a an invisible orbital mechanic line to uh, <laughs> and to try and get where you're going, you you can't manually like by vision navigate. You need to be no no you know calculating predicting something. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. They already bragged about how how they did it with such limited tools. See, they no, used the sextant that's the other thing. and two stars. Oh god. Well, the other thing <laughs> too is uh, the stars. they they always brag about how <laughs> yeah. the the limited computational power on board uh, the Apollo Eleven. Like we got to the moon with uh, a computer that's less powerful than your your pocket calculator, and that's apparently it failed them. That's not actually how they got to the moon. Like it, it's it's a whole it's a whole lie. Can I give a rundown real yeah, quick too. of the of the claims now? Now that we're now that we know this dumb bitch didn't do anything, obviously. <laughs> let's just give a rundown of of all things that NASA says. Okay. Hey, she is cute enough for an engineering manager. Exactly. That's we know that we know that very impressive. She, we we all know how she got her position. She was a, a seven, which is a a science eleven. You know, so among she, among a team of uh, four hundred men, uh, she stood out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so here's the NASA claims. Okay, just on one ship going to the moon. Okay, and and their brags about how difficult it was because that's what they like to. They want you to know that they got there in a rusty tin can with grit but they also need to brag about other stuff and they have all conflicting brags. So they're like, okay, so we sent three boomers up into space and they're like, yeah. And we, our computer, um, it had just nine numbers on it or 10 numbers on it. It had zero through nine and star pound. And that was all that was on it. And it didn't even have a screen. How, how are you getting radar data? So we weren't, (laughs) uh, Houston was doing it by hand and, uh, and then it was the, the uh, I mean, the audio delay. See, Nixon wasn't really calling because the audio delay was crazy. But you were getting navigational data from the ground in real time. No, no, no. I did that at myself. Um, also, this bitch down here, she, she whose husband just gave her his job. Uh, yeah. She wrote like 10,000 lines of code and invented this whole system. Didn't you just brag you didn't use the system because it was it didn't fix the problem in the first place. Like they just, everything's a conflict. What, how did you navigate? Oh, we used a sextant in the stars. Do you remember seeing stars? No. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I saw zero stars, but you just said you used a sextant to navigate. Oh, well, obviously I saw those stars, but I meant different at a different time. I forgot. I re- couldn't remember anymore. 
It's fucking insane. The whole story is nuts. If you if you had that kind of consistency telling your wife, trying to tell your wife you weren't cheating on her, she would divorce <laughs> you and take everything in court. So I was gonna say this, this sounds more like an abduction story, like an alien abduction story than like a, a pilot going to the moon. Yeah. Like like somebody, somebody has lost they have this all this lost time and like don't remember anything about it except for a, a couple little glimpses and uh here and there. And uh they definitely went to outer space in that time though. Yeah. They Very probed spooky. my ass with a thing this ew, really? No no, I'm not gay. Like it's like that equivalent. It's fucking insane. So I actually went because this Vox article mentioned that um, she's 78 years old now and she runs. Now, this article was written in 2019 and it's saying that she currently runs her company, Hamilton Technologies Incorporated, and they have a link to her website and her website. Aaron can't see this, but because he's a child of the rail and and there's no Wi-Fi in the boxcars. Atlanta, Georgia Internet is... (laughs) Probably the fucking probably code written by this bitch. Does she do Marriott Wi-Fi? Because I would fucking believe that. <laughs> this is terrible. I can I'm on a hot spot for my iPhone. Download speeds of 35 kilobytes a second. I feel like I'm back in dial-up. I feel like my mom's gonna jump in and fucking yell at me because she's expecting a call on her landline. That's how bad the internet is. I have that- fucking flashbacks of 1999. It, this is this is exactly what her website looks like. Josh, <laughs> back me up on this one. Uh, okay, so there's there's zero there's zero sizing. Oh, this is the homepage. Jesus, there's zero sizing formatting. Uh, it's got this the terrible wallpaper borders and then a white background. Um, the text is not formatted for the white space, so it just goes over the wallpaper that's like uh, similar colors. You can't read half of it. Text is a tiny size uh, to begin with, so you have to zoom in like crazy if you want to read any of it. Um, and then there's no wrapping of the text, so it doesn't actually like go to the next line. It, it's it's this this terrible thing where um, it, it looks like you just have the, these uh, unlike assets on uh, you know 1980s stationery that. Just should never have gone to like by by some yeah. you know, 1970s woman should never have gone together. It looks like it was put together by Microsoft 95 Paint. Like that's what it looks like, <laughs> and it has if, art. If only the art border is something from like the 70s as well. And it's like, oh my god! And, and she so invented it, software engineering. Uh, it it has Hamilton Technol- uh, Hamilton Technologies was founded in uh, 1986 to provide products and services. To modernize the planning, system engineering, and software development process in order to maximize reliability, lower costs, and accelerate time to market. But they don't. Hey, Bob. Um, Bob, you didn't say actually, anything there. I, <laughs> right. So, if you go to intro to the 001 tool suite, it just has a list of, of things. Simulation and testing tools. Test modules. For who? Constraint modules, OMAP editor. Okay, you go to analysis tool, type an uh, type analyzer, function analyzer, syntax, data flow, so, semantics. Here are some of the properties and features that make uh, 001 unique. Always number one when put to the test. <laughs> a preventative approach instead of a curative one. Wait, Seamless integration, on. including systems to software. This is it. There's nothing on her website. There's there's no pictures yeah, no, of staff. I'm, I'm looking at this is this is fake. She has a fake company. 
she has testimonials from people that just write how influential she she's been. There is a clientele list, which just it just lists companies: IBM, NASA, the NSA, um, Motorola, like a, a bunch of other ones. You go over to her like new offers. Let's go to let's go to new offers and examples. Off further information, and it's just a blank website. You have to call a fucking phone number or email Hannah at her personal email address. Bob, can, uh, can you guys? Can one of you please call and email her? Oh, oh my god, god, yes. <laughs> just be like, can can you guys tell me what you do? <laughs> no, no, I actually want the services. Like specifically. Yeah. Um, okay. There's a little bit more information here, but it, it's all just like text on a screen. You think for someone that's been in the software development business for uh, longer than years, anyone alive. Yeah. Well, she, she's more of a back end publisher than like a web developer. Okay. Or back end developer more than a, a yeah, um, web developer. <sighs> this Josh. <laughs> but yeah. Everything on this website is utter fucking garbage. If you go to her contact if her, or go to her offers, there's no, you can't go back to like the original. There's no link to the homepage. There's no link to anything. Also, yeah, if, you were, if this was garbage. a real company, the email would not be to email her directly. Yes. You're not emailing her directly. That's insane. You are. I just looked up the address and it's just a random house in uh, residential Cambridge, Massachusetts, just uh, just off Are of MIT campus. Uh, That's what I'm seeing. Like there, there's Street View. It's uh, it's between two other just regular houses, and looks like just a regular house. These are like these are just shell companies to launder money through. Like obviously, right? Am I wrong in thinking that? Well, that's that's what I'm wondering. I wonder if there's any way to look at like projects they've done before con- contracts they've gotten and money they've made so that would like right. be yeah. such a smoking gun for yes they're just laundering money yeah is it just is it like is she just getting random nasa like consulting contracts and shit is it all consulting jobs it it might be because i can't really find any like information it's all about articles that have been posted about her, what others say about the company. Despite recent progress in uh, object-oriented programming and uh, component-based software engineering, software development today is still more of an art than engineering. Oh, God. This she's is the one, on She's the, the one who put engineer in software engineering, and she's saying yeah. it's not engineering. <laughs> Fucking bitch. No, this is the what others say about her company the, uh, section. Excuse me. Yeah. So, a complete fraud. I would suggest everyone go look at the only Link thing you can download. Notes. Yeah, the only thing you can download off her website is a testimonials um uh um text document. And that's it. So it's that, things that she said that other people said. That's right. The only thing you can get of. Oh, my God. Like, how oh my the, NASA is fake. 
not this is not a person that led the software development team to get to the moon. This is not what that person would look like. Th- this just reeks of someone that has achieved nothing but nepotism in her life to like get ahead. And she's tried to has no problem just saying bullshit to get money. Right. And she's she's been peddling this like low level grift her entire life has been like moderately successful because of her job at NASA. And then after so many years and when feminism like hit its like cultural peak, people started to realize, oh, we need to go back in time and reinvent some like modern like hero women in in the STEM community, basically. And then like, well, we have this this lady who technically had a job on the software team. But <laughs> this is why nothing that we have, no, nothing we have that's uh, publicly funded should be allowed to be classified for more than like 15 years. No, it shouldn't and be I classified at all. Fuck it. Like they lie to us. Yeah, about probably everything. not at all. But like <laughs> NASA, you can you you get away with just horrifying scams because they don't have to show their work at all. And this is what happens when you don't have to show your work. They just say NASA. They put the dumbest bitch in the whole world fucking up as a head software developer, but they never have to show you any software. They show you a picture, a black and white picture next to phone books and go, yeah, look at all the code we wrote. Fuck you. We don't have to show anything else. That's all classified. Oh, also, we're all the smartest people in the world, but we don't have to prove it ever. It's insane. So to be clear, Hamilton did not invent the executive, uh, well, the uh, asynchronous executive suite. She didn't author it or come up with it or come up with the prior uh, prioritization and restart functions of of the program. And even if you do believe in that they use that program in any way. All they did was it was an automatic restart and then set a, a task that they deemed higher priority as the first task to complete when it restarted. And that's it. And it didn't even fix the problem of what was causing the freezes. In the field. Yeah, it didn't work in the field. It didn't for work. Yeah, they claimed reason. that they fucking yeah. called literally the city of Houston, called NASA headquarters, and NASA fucking directed them in from the ground from an eighth of a million miles away. You know, yeah. from 125,000 to 250,000 miles away, they were directing them with and giving them radar readouts because they want to pretend that you could get radar readouts from a fucking ship a quarter million miles away in live time and then give them accurate information that they could do something with. That's insane. Because, like, I even the, even the example I gave you. Where if you just said, oh, in 1969, hey, hey, Pentagon, give me the readouts of my data on my submarine. They'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Probably now they can't do that. And that's what? Uh, you're, you're, they're 500 miles away and be, uh, 20 miles down deep. If No, not even. They're like two miles deep, a mile deep in the, in the water. And they think that... They, that would be impossible, but oh, quarter million miles of space. Yeah, it's space stuff. Anything goes in it's space stuff. We can do anything in space. We can terraform planets in space. We can just read radar readouts by magic in space. See, and I think this is a strange <laughs> comparison you're trying to make because uh, trying to transmit data through water 
is a completely different um, and uh, completely unrelated situation to what they're doing in space. Yeah, dummy. Jesus. They really got people (laughs) to believe that as long as you hit a vacuum, you can go infinitely with anything. And there's no, you can just send signals infinitely. I mean, Aaron, have you ever hit a vacuum? You can't prove otherwise. Ha. Exactly. Got him. Have you ever tried to transmit <laughs> uh, data from a quarter million miles away through a vacuum? Didn't think so. Therefore, it's real. <laughs> All right. Enough about NASA. You guys want to move on to some Scientist actual discoveries? science? <laughs> you need to know what science discovered. You need to know today. Whether it's space or bones uncovered, it's definitely fake and gay. Scientists I spy have- worldwide oh, eye color percentages. Um, <laughs> blue-eyed humans have a single common ancestor. This is from the University of Copenhagen, January 31st, 2008. So, uh, is, is that how recessive yeah, w- genes work? What is that? How recessive genes work now? Oh yeah, yeah. That's see. That's what I wanted to. I wanted to see what their claim was. So uh, this is this is from 2008. This is old. I wanted to try an older uh, scientist discover. See how how different the science was just 15 years ago. And uh, this was their summary: is new research shows that people with blue eyes have a single common ancestor. Scientists have tracked down a genetic mutation which took place 6,000 to 10,000 years ago and is the cause of the eye color of all blue-eyed humans alive on the planet today. Now, I mean, they must have found some striking, striking, uh, you know, evidence to make this claim. Originally, what did they find? Well, this is my favorite. They they make these claims so matter-of-factly, and it's like the most asinine thing ever that they could never ever prove in a fucking million years originally we all had brown eyes what said (laughs) professor hans eiberg a fucking retard from the department of cellular and molecular medicine but a genetic mutation that i just made up affecting the oca2 gene that i also made up in our chromosomes resulted in the creation of a switch that I needed to exist so I could get grant money, which literally turned off the ability to produce brown eyes. Oh, the, <laughs> the OCA2 gene codes for the so-called P protein, which is involved in the production of melanin, the pigment that gives color to our hairs, eyes, and skin. The switch, which is located in the gene adjacent to OCA2, does not, however turn off the gene entirely, but rather limits its action to reducing the production of melanin in the iris. So they basically, so they're saying no, that it says gene. No, it says it dilutes the brown eyes to blue. Yes. Um, so so it, would that mean they were all like by default blue and then there, there's just some brown on top uh, or kind of masking it based on this, no, it, this gene? What's insane is that he's trying to make a claim like, the reason blue eyes are blue is because this one gene gets sw- got switched off at one time with one random mutation um, 10,000 years ago. And today, we, they, they figured out basically that 
uh, all eye color is determined by the amount of melanin in your iris. Even blue. It goes like white. Like when you get those really like white eyes that are really kind of uh, pretty rare, actually. You get those like white eyes. That's the least amount into like blue, then green, and then you get into your browns. Like that's like the and it's just like on a slide scale of like how much melanin is in in your eye, and all the way to like black. Black is just where they have like the fucking just most melanin possible in their fucking iris, and they just tried to make up that they found a gene that switches off your melanin production. And that's how blue-eyed people got blue eyes, and it's a genetic mutation. But he just literally, they just made it up. And so they this is what he tried to claim in not that long ago, 15 years ago. We sold the we had the internet going full force. So he goes we had the high variation. speed cable internet then. Yeah. This is like this is how much they make shit up. He goes, variation in the color of the eyes from brown to green can all be explained by the amount of melanin in the iris. So he's trying to claim, oh, yeah, green to brown is all melanin. And then this makes no sense. But blue-eyed individuals (laughs) only have a small degree of variation in the amount of melanin in their eyes. Yeah, because it's blue. It's a a very small variation at the bottom of it. Like, you can have a bigger variation at brown because... Once you hit a certain point, which most people have, you end up with brown eyes. And he goes, from this, we can conclude that all blue-eyed individuals are linked to the same ancestor based on literally nothing. And this is the kind (laughs) of shit that they just make up. And I just wanted to, I want to go back to more, like keep going back and seeing what shit they just made up. But that one just made me laugh because they tried to act like blue eyes were somehow different and the melanin wasn't the key factor, even though it literally is. It's just a melanin thing. Well, so I think this research came out of trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with albinos. Because uh, it says uh, if this uh, OCA2 uh, is turned off or is completely destroyed, uh, human beings would be without melanin in their hair, eyes, or skin breeding albinos basically. So that's like they're, they research albinos. Like what the hell is making these people fucking like pasty white blonde hair and like fucking, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to say uh, blue eyed people are like part albino. Like they had limited melanin, but not correct. Totally switched off. Correct. And they also go on to say that the mutation of the brown eyes to blue represents neither a positive nor a negative mutation. It is one of several mutations such as hair color, baldness, freckles, and beauty splotch, which neither uh, increases nor reduces a human's chance of survival. Honestly, it sounds like a fucking shit brown eyed guy fucking coping. This actually doesn't help you in any way. It's just random. (laughs) Right. brown eyes are beautiful. That doesn't explain why people in like, the North where there's a lot less sunlight everywhere have light skin and blue eyes and stuff like that. Like the further North you go, the more this is prevalent. It's not just yeah, a random purely melanin. It, yeah. But they're saying it's just a random, like uh, um mixture of genetics that gets shuffled about. They he even says it right here. Um, oh yeah. No, this it simply shows that nature is of fucking blue constantly. Eyes. Uh, Nature is constantly shuffling the human genome, creating a genetic cocktail of human chromosomes and trying to out different, uh, out different changes as it does. So, and it's, that doesn't like, 
obviously there was something with like how much sunlight there was, how much like vitamin D the body needed at the time. Like, you, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's harder for people with darker skin to get as much vitamin D if they move up to like Seattle or if they move up to like England or stuff like that. It's like, that is like a known issue. Like the, the intake of vitamin D and having like a healthy amount of vitamin D. And it's like, if you live generations there, it wasn't just by chance or simple like variation. That That's not true. That is absolutely not true. There was a mechanism to change in your body. How much based that, on that your determine based on your surroundings, how much light you got and how much light you needed to transform stuff into vitamin D in, inside your system. And like they're, Oh, jeez. So I, I want to go back to kind of one of the, the beginning claims of this this topic as well. Um, the single blue-eyed ancestor is from was uh, from six thousand to ten thousand years ago. Aaron, do you have um, any idea how they determined that amount of time ago that this uh, mutation originally took place? Like always, they made it up. Yeah, so I I just loaded up like another ten articles, just trying to find like the slightly different stories on a slightly different uh, reporting on this exact same story, trying to figure out where they got that from, and it looks like it's a combination of um, one they for whatever reason have some indication that the first mutation in this gene happened around that time, and now they link that mutation to the blue eye thing. Um, and two, kind of just the genealogy thing, like looking at the the percentages of blue-eyed people in the population today, today, and kind of how that would have to trace its trace itself back, uh, you know, generations, blah blah blah. But but then I, I found this one article, uh, businessinsider.com. Um, <clears throat> uh, how did this mutation get its start? Possibly when humans migrated from Africa to Europe. This would explain why only people of European descent have blue eyes. So that's where they're getting it. They're they're making up they they have um they're saying that possibly at this point in history with no evidence that this <laughs> mutation took place for the first time ever. No, they do that all the time with with no evidence. They're just like, "Oh yeah, uh, a a time ago." Like you we have no there's no way to get a fossil of somebody's fucking iris color. They have no evidence to say that everybody had brown eyes or the first blue eye was fucking 7,000 years ago, 10,000 years It's all based on nothing. How do we know that there didn't used to be blue-eyed Africans? We, we don't know what Africans looked like uh, a thousand years ago or, you know, what eye color that they every single that one of the them fucking, had. That all of the earth is was different temperatures and shit. We don't even know if uh, when Africa was in an ice age, why wouldn't there be fucking a bunch of blue-eyed africans then you know what i mean but they they forget their gay lies so they're like oh africa uh has brown eyes always Ten thousand years ago they had brown eyes you're like didn't they have like 17 ice ages since then like oh uh never mind uh it it probably was a random mutation like they just make it up as they go it's so dumb all right so if we have time for just one more science discovers I found oh, yeah, a fucking banger. Let me re-roll here. <laughs> you need to know what science discovered. You need to know today. 
Whether it's face or bones uncovered, it's definitely fake and gay. Scientists have discovered one of the pos- possible cosmological solutions to our universe that could be a mirror image of an antimatter universe extending backwards in time before the Big Bang. <laughs> so okay. we have this thing. The article's very convoluted. Um, but it goes on. Our universe could be the mirror image of an antimatter universe extending backwards in time before the Big Bang. So claim physicists in Canada who have devised a new cosmological model positing the existence of an anti-universe, which paired to our own preserves a fundamental rule of physics called CPT symmetry, which is a very high level uh, quantum mechanics uh, theory. Uh, I don't know. I don't personally know too much about it. Anyway, so we have this thing that no, scientists... They, they called it a fundamental rule of physics, not a some out there theory. Bob, right? are you not a real <laughs> physics? <laughs> I'm not a... <laughs> I didn't get a PhD in quantum mechanics, no. <laughs> so not anyway. only can we not study our own universe because there's literally no way to even escape one tiny speck of it, our solar system... Um, not only do we know that our universe is a universe, despite those limitations, we know that there's a, an entire other universe that's made of antimatter, a thing we can't prove exists, and time, a thing that we can't prove is a physical thing that you can actually change, moves in a direction that's literally not possible backwards and is a mirror of our own universe based on literally nothing. Okay, keep going. This seems like fundamental physics to me. Bob, Bob, did Marvel just pay you to bring in this article as a as an ad spot <laughs> for the new Ant Man and the Wasp three Quantumania? I wish I could use a couple extra bucks in my pocket. <laughs> 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 so, like the the whole premise is is that we have like this dark matter uh, and like dark energy that we sort of know about. We we certain things in our equations and our current understanding of the universe don't add up to what we're seeing at the moment. We, we can't figure it out, but if we kind of uh, kind of deduce the logic down into what we're missing, we clump it all together and call it dark energy and dark matter and stuff like that. And that, that explains why the universe is doing things that we are observing that we can't explain with our current level that's, of understanding. of That's physics. my favorite thing about dark, like dark matter or antimatter right. is that they're like, okay, so based on our observations, this doesn't make any sense. So there must be antimatter or dark matter. There must be dark matter and dark energy out there. And you're like, what? Well, are, have you guys considered the fact that maybe your models are incorrect no 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 no. no. we <laughs> no, know no, 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 no. everything about that i mean <laughs> no, you no, see no. that blue dot that means that there's 12 ounces of liquid on a rock uh two million light years away yeah and dino- dinosaurs are big satellites are really high up and <laughs> quantum mechanics are real okay it's it's just we know these fundamental truths to be Sa- so satellites are so high up you can't film them with a telescope, but close enough that you can see them, the light reflecting off them with the naked eye. <laughs> so fundamental truth. Yeah, you, you, you don't need quantum mechanics to explain that. 
they go on to say that there, there's a frame of mind that you explain a new phenomenon by inventing a new particle or field in, in the realm of physics these days. And the entire idea of coming up with this is that he thinks that idea is misguided. He's saying that, well, we can take the universal laws of physics that we currently know and come up with something, not a new particle or like a, a form of matter, but we can come up with this symmetry within the universe, this equal but opposite um, anti-universe, as they call it. Which So as long as there's a movie of our universe playing opposite of it in back in reverse, then you could hear then then the our universe will balance out. Right. Basically, yeah. And so I saw this and I immediately because I'm a huge Warhammer 40k fan. I love the lore behind it. The the idea of uh, the warp and the materium and the immaterium, like it, it, fuck it, it's it's awesome. I love it. And this is basically just this is confirming that idea. It's it's a sci-fi. It's a cheesy like sci-fi space mechanic that people made up for like the most horrifying idea for faster than light space travel in a grim, dark sci-fi. So if time works backwards in that universe, when people listen to Beatles albums, do they just know that Paul is dead and that they should (laughs) worship Satan or whatever? (laughs) And they don't, they're like, dude, if you play that forward, it fucking is pretty good. (laughs) So it's like, it's the equal, but opposite. So like in this world, like, there shouldn't be the physics should be completely different. The physics, if there is any physics, the opposite of that world would be physicsless. There would be no natural law, right? If you have a world no, no, no. that has natural laws of physics, our own, that you could break down with science and well, this isn't fucking opposite day things. in second grade. It's like, oh, is the opposite being the inverse, or am I gonna? Uh, no, I'm, blah, I'm just blah, 40k blah. nerding out on it okay, because okay. in no, 40k, see, see, the, it's the, literally just well, the, 40, the dimension the 40K of hell. Example, kind of ruins it because with that you give the anti-universe actual context and meaning and like an, and you you make the anti-universe actually do something because right now this article the anti-universe doesn't do anything it doesn't mean anything it doesn't like apply to anything it's just this theoretical concept real. for like uh oh supposedly if we have this conception of our universe then this could also exist but we'll never interact with it or get anything from it or it'll never affect anything no. in any way possible but bob brought in 40k and now it's josh how dare you how dare you the anti-universe is the key to opening up the humankind's key to psychic powers yeah yeah this is exactly (laughs) all All we need to do is start injecting dark matter into people's frontal lobes and see what happens that's all i'm saying all it takes is one fucking lore series about orcs and fucking space armor and bob turns into a fucking hippie chick with crystals trying to be a fucking psychic no 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 this is how we can see ghosts I hate you guys. <laughs> oh my god, this is running long. Do we have voicemails? Yeah, yeah, we got a we got a couple here. Uh, one from play Bobby. them backwards so we can feel like we're in the uh, antimatter universe, just as satanic as the anti universe. I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh oh. Hold on. Okay. Thinking it. Don't be embarrassed, guys. I've had this same retard moment you just had, and I have a bio degree. Yes. 
You do make food out of thin air. CO2, that's the carbon. It just aggregates the carbon into a molecule so big it needs to be a solid, like a sugar or anything. It's all just carbon, carbon-based life. It, it's obviously real. You're dumb for thinking it sounds dumb. You Plants make food out of thin air constantly. That's why you put bamboo in water and nothing else. Also, I love that you're fucking talking about protein powder because fuck protein powder. <laughs> How dare you, Bobby, question our scientific ingenuity. We're, we're making fun of their fucking gay slogan anyways. What, are, what is he talking about? Why is this back on us? We're making fun of you. You know what? Go find some Soline and drink their fucking weird pus protein. Go, go have it. And go, oh, I can make food out of thin air <laughs> as you drink your fucking gross protein. We talked taste. about photosynthesis in the episode as well. But but also the big thing with Soline is that it's supposed to be protein rich. And sure, there's nitrogen in the air, but I don't know the process by which nitrogen in the air is going to become an amino acid in your little uh, test tube. So um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's kind of one of the breakdowns here of the... Yeah, where it just doesn't, you know, they're adding yeah. extra stuff to the mixture. But also, it was the scientists in the co- in the gay commercial where they're obviously trying to scam fucking $50 million of grant money out of, in their out of the secret EU. laboratory. It was like, it's kind of like making food out of thin air. <laughs> yeah. And we, we were didn't, just making fun of that guy. Bobby, we did not we didn't deny. Say that. He said that. We did not deny the existence of carbon capturing. Like, that's that's not where we went with that discussion. But yeah. Anyway, and we got one more voicemail. Hey guys, this is Josh, Tucson, Arizona. I've been listening to you for uh, listened to every episode, and I uh, always wanted to call in. Uh, the reason That's I'm calling prank. in now is because uh, <laughs> you guys are talking about the, um, the the space station, and they're going to fake crash it. And uh, first thing came to my mind was that they would recover the so-called wreckage and then um, have it and in the Smithsonian, and then they would have to paint yes. everything. Yes. And they would say that we could not touch it because <laughs> the same reason as the dinosaurs, yes. it's radioactive. <laughs> and we'll have some big old museum where people can go and ooh and ah. That's some more bullshit. Thanks. I love you guys, man. You guys are the best. Keep doing what you do. Later. First of all, I didn't know that we had a fourth fan that we didn't know, which is fucking <laughs> awesome. That's insane. <laughs> we're, we're fucking moving on up, guys. We we have more fans than officially we have uh, hosts. <laughs> we, we did it. It only took us 130 episodes. <laughs> Nailing um, it. Pretty good. Pretty good. You know what's gonna be great though is when some autist is looking at the the spaceship piece that's in the Smithsonian. It's gonna be like this crumpled piece of aluminum, and they're gonna find something that they can prove it definitely isn't the space station. And immediately, all the space fans are gonna be like, "No, actually, uh, obviously, they couldn't use the real space metal. They had to wrap it in that aluminum siding because (laughs) uh, uh, reasons and radiation radiation." Wait, have you seen the video? Everything's covered in aluminum foil in space too. Like I don't I don't I don't get it. Well, it's just, you know, space aluminum foil for one. So Oh, excuse me. Yeah. I, I do have to question Josh here, not 
not host Josh, but fan Josh, because he referred to it as the space station. And we don't do that here on the show. We just re- <laughs> oh, <laughs> not a true space believer. Station. <laughs> <laughs> kind of did lose all your credibility there. <laughs> How many episodes did you listen to again? <laughs> yeah, all of them. Obviously space station. Maybe, to be fair, maybe he hasn't had a proper cup of coffee yet and just right. didn't, didn't have the mental faculties on, so we'll give him a pass. Chugga, chugga. <laughs> All right, and I think that's the show. See you guys next week, maybe. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> no, I will be here I, next week. I like week. that sign-up, Bob. <laughs> I'm just sorry that we missed last week. Train school is bullshit, and my internet is fucking terrible. So, Yeah. My yeah. my bad. It's is my fault. He'll get it together eventually. I'll, eventually, <laughs> in April, I'll be moved. I won't be out living out of a hotel, and I'll be living that train life, and I'll be back to more normal. So, yeah. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week, probably. See you next week. Thank you, science. You've got mail. What the fuck? Don't tell me you don't like my show. Ho, 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 ho.